Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Our Lord, we praise you for the ability to stand before you today. It's by your faithful love that we are able to do so. You have given us the ability to remain faithful to you in the midst of many trials. When we struggle to see you, we have your word to give us clear-eyed wisdom and revelation of who you are and what you are doing in this world. When we grow weary, we have a church family who is eager to provide encouragement and support so we can endure in believing loyalty. And when our identity is in doubt, we are reminded that we have been marked by your Holy Spirit, and now we are named as your children. Lord, forgive us when we do not live up to this calling. We still have weaknesses and leftover desires. Bring to our minds now the way each of us needs to repent. The way each of us needs to plead for your mercy. The way each of us needs to grow in faithfulness. The way each of us needs to put away the dying things of the world so we can live whole in you. Help us to surrender to you through confessing these sins to you and to one another. Lord, sometimes we forget that we are in a war. We can become lax in preparing ourselves for the battle that we face every day when the world tries to wedge itself between us and you. Give us courage each day to stand against the schemes of the enemy. Help us as we fill our minds with truth so we would not be deceived. Help us as we are equipped each day with prayer and your word so we are able to boldly proclaim your truth to everyone around us. Help us to trust that you will fulfill all of your promises to us. We pray for our sister churches who are engaged in this same battle. We pray for the Well Church in Portland and their pastor, C.J. Coffey. Let their service this morning produce fruit in the life of the congregation that spills over into their community in a way that proclaims that they belong to you. And for Saving Grace Church and their pastor, Brian Winchester, we pray for protection against the spiritual forces that want to remove the claim that you have on those people. So we ask that their commitment to you would be strengthened through their gathering this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our ears this morning as we consider your word. Soften our hearts so that we will not resist the sanctifying and strengthening nature of the text today. Give our brother Nick your words so that we would be transformed and renewed in our minds and hearts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, what a joy it is to be here with each of you this morning as we get to open God's word uh, and really kick off a new series in the book of Joshua. We are done with Revelation. So here we go. We're launching right away this morning into the book of Joshua, and we are going to cover uh, this book over the next few months. And I am hoping and praying that it is a blessing to you as it has been to me as I've just been studying it and pondering it and preparing for the days ahead. If I were to say to you or ask you to name an event that takes place every four years, your mind would probably finish that statement in a variety of ways. Every four years, we have the Winter Olympics. Every four years, we have the Summer Olympics, or my favorite, the World Cup. Every four years, we have a leap year. Or even, maybe it's your favorite, every four years, we have an election cycle. 
It's this last one that really captures our imaginations. It really grips our hearts. Our social media feeds are cluttered with propaganda, with angry friends and hopeful dreamers. If only my candidate gets elected, if, if only the leader that I desire gets put into office, then me and mine, our lives will prosper and we will find peace. I can remember when I was young that, that growing up, at, when I was young and growing up, uh, that the election cycle was a pretty big deal in my house. Uh, we would spend great amounts of time and energy doing our part to get our candidate elected. Of course, I'm saying our uh, as I was just a child, right? But I helped out. It was instilled in me at a very early age that for the sake of the world, for the sake of my future, that we needed like-minded leaders who would agree with our view of life. When you boil it down, reduce it to the heart, what we wanted was our kingdom to expand. We wanted a world that we could identify with and in. Every election is a small-scale conflict between kingdoms, a kingdom of ideas, of principles, of values. And the winner gains power and control, and the losers have to regroup for the next cycle. It's no wonder, then, that conflict is becoming, this conflict is becoming increasingly hostile. Peace is promised through political victory, and yet nobody actually seems to find it. So as we begin our new series in the book of Joshua this morning, we will be in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is a book about conquest, conflict, and God's faithfulness to his people as seen through the leader he gives to them. This is the big idea of the book. Joshua is a book about conquest, conflict, and God's faithfulness to his people as seen through the leader he gives them. This is a transition book written around 1400 BC, and it's a historical book that chronicles the nation of Israel's transition and possession out of the wilderness and then possession of the land of Canaan. These people go from wandering in the wilderness to taking over the land that God had promised to them. But it isn't just historical nonfiction that's in narrative form. Because it's God's word, it tells us about who God is. And in Joshua, we will see God reveal himself to us. In Joshua, we will see that God is faithful to his promises. He gives his people the land to possess, a land that he had promised to them. We will also see that God is a God who conquers. And while the people of Israel obey, it is God who acts on their behalf for the victory. We will see exciting stories, stories of espionage, of some stories that are really gruesome and that can leave us uh, wondering what is actually taking place and am I supposed to believe this? We will read about land boundaries that will leave us scratching our heads and wondering, what am I supposed to do with this information? We will see that God chooses the leader of his people. And this leader, Joshua, is the central figure of this book. Now Joshua, his name literally means God delivers or God saves. 
Now, one other famous character in Scripture had and shares this name. Joshua is Hebrew for Jesus. So the book of Joshua could literally be titled Jesus. This book, this book of Joshua, we will clearly see Jesus, and therefore this book is very applicable to us. We, the people of God, who have wandered in the wilderness and are now taking over and possessing and living in the land that God has promised for us in a small way, are in the process of making this land livable and killing our sin in our lives, following our leader until we fully live in the land and rest. This book of Joshua, then, is a great picture of God's faithfulness to his people through the leader that he gives them as they live in the grace that he has also given to them. So let's, this morning, then, read Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon that I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that it is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and, you, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives your rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess, possess it. 
the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all the things that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is the word of the Lord. All right, the title of the sermon and the main idea is The Man of God Hears from God, Obeys God Confidently, and Leads the People of God. So the man of God hears from God. The man of God obeys God confidently, and the man of God leads the people of God. All right, let's look again now at the narrative and see what uh, it is that the Lord is trying to tell us today as we see that the man of God hears from God. Joshua's place uh, in the canon is appropriate. It follows Deuteronomy, which concludes with the death of Moses. Now, Israel had been wandering in this wilderness for 40 years. Moses was the God-appointed leader of the nation of Israel. And he had led, faithfully led the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness. But God had told Moses that he would not enter the promised land. He would not live to see the day that possession takes place. This goes all the way back to the book of Numbers. Moses had been told, speak to a rock in the wilderness and water will come out of it. Now you can read about this story in Numbers chapter 20, but it was on account of the anger of Moses that he was not allowed to see the fruition of the promises of God. What he did was hit the rock. He struck it out of anger rather than speaking to it as God had commanded. And because of his disobedience, he was not able to enter the promised land. And Moses' death marked the end of a generation. What we see here in this text of Joshua is that everybody has now died who was told they could not enter this land. An entire generation of Israel who had wandered in the wilderness died because they too did not believe God. In fact, 12 spies earlier in Numbers, chapter 13, had been sent out to spy on the land. Ten of them reported back that the land was filled with giants and formidable opponents. You can see the people's response in Numbers 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. The idea of of, of taking over land with formidable opponents was just too much for this generation of people. So God's punishment for them, for their lack of faith, was that they too would die in the wilderness. Now, 12 spies were sent out. 10 had come back and said, hey, we can't do this. But two, two had dissented. Two had said, hey, I actually think we can do this because God is on our side. And those two were Joshua, our character Joshua, and Caleb, 
his associate. And so because of their faith, they were able to see the promised land. And because of their faith, because of Joshua's faith, he was then given the privilege of leading the people of God. And so with Moses' death now, the people are leaderless. And when there's turnover in leadership, there's a tendency to be chaos. But God did not waste any time. He right away commissions Joshua as the leader. Now Joshua, a little background on him, he was Moses' assistant. He had been with Moses since he was a child. He had received the Ten Commandments with Moses and walked back down the hill to see Israel partying it up with the golden calf. He had lived through all of that. In Deuteronomy, Moses has commissions Joshua as the leader of Israel. Hey, you're going to take my place. It was Joshua that Moses had chosen to be his successor. And God, here in Joshua 1, affirms that choice. He affirms that commissioning by speaking directly to Joshua. His instructions begin in verse 2. God is speaking right to him, and he, and which gives directly to Joshua, which gives us perspective on who the leader of Israel is, who the leader of the people of God is, and that is one who hears from God. The man of God hears right from the mouth of God. Up to this point in the history of the nation of Israel, God spoke to a single individual as a way of relating to his people. From Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and now Joshua, the leader God chose for his people was one who heard from God. At the beginning of Exodus, God revealed himself in a personal way to Moses. He spoke to him in the burning bush. He then laid out expectations that he had for his people and what a relationship with this God looks like. And part of God's promise then as he spoke to Abraham and to Moses was that he would give them land. A land that they could live in. A land that would satisfy their every need. A land that that flowing with milk and honey was the promise. It was very Garden of Eden-esque or even Revelation for that matter. A land surrounded by rivers. God's word to Joshua is that you, Joshua, will lead this people in their possession of the promised land. And, and to add to the Garden of Eden imagery, right, it's surrounded by rivers. It was a place where the rule of God will exist. And it was to be accomplished through this man, Joshua. And so through Joshua, God will be faithful to his promises. And God's promise to Joshua, we see, is that I will never leave you or forsake you. You can see that very clearly in the text in the first few verses. Joshua will not be abandoned by God. And God, as he talks to Joshua, commands Joshua to just obey. This is the means of how God communicates. It is through speech. God is talking and is through and to one whom he chooses to use as his mouthpiece. God speaking is the foundation of all of Scripture. It is in the beginning, 
right, that God created. How? Through his word. It was through his speech that his will was accomplished. The words that God speaks to uh, even Joshua point to his promises. God's word to Joshua points to his promises and even us today. God uses speech to communicate. When we read scripture in church, as we do each Sunday, uh, when we, we celebrate that it is a God who speaks to his people, right? And we give thanks to him. Our words of thanksgiving is that God would actually condescend to us and give us his word. Preaching, when done rightly, is the word of God and communicated to God's people. God speaks to his people. Hearing God's word reminds us of his promises. It tells us of who God is. It also gives purpose to our lives. Without God speaking, we would have no idea of the expectations that he has for us. And so his word is a measure of grace in our lives. We would not understand who we are. We would not understand what is in store for us, what our purpose is without God speaking. Our understanding that we serve a God who speaks to his people through the man of his choosing is foundational for our understanding of our life, but it's also foundational for our understanding of Joshua. We will encounter, as I said, some very difficult texts, some very difficult issues in Joshua. We get a glimpse of it here. The people of Israel were commanded by God to enter a land that wasn't their, their own, to wage war and to conquer the land and to eradicate, eradicate the enemies. Ignoring what God is saying or even questioning the God who says it puts us in a position of doubting what actually took place. Is this truly from God and for us? Can we believe this? and put ourselves under it, and then figure out what it means? You and I must start in a place where God speaks, and it is through Joshua who led the people to accomplish the purposes that God had intended. All right, so first we see that the man of God adheres from God. Second, we see that the man of God obeys God confidently. In Joshua, we will see that the man of God's choosing will face many difficulties, many formidable opponents. He will be outmanned, outgunned, outnumbered, but will rise up. Yes, that was a Hamilton reference. But this is not because of his own strength. It is because of God's Strength is this is accomplished. And in this chapter one, we encounter this repeated phrase, be strong and courageous. This phrase uh, is often misused, misunderstood, uh, and, and misapplied. It's a great little phrase that you can put on your fridge, uh, put on your dashboard, right? Wear on a t-shirt, be strong and courageous, right? We can just pull it out of scripture and put it wherever we want, and it just sounds good. But here, in this context, where it is written, God is promising his faithfulness to Joshua 
And Joshua can act courageously because he is trusting that God is truthful. Joshua doesn't need to summon more courage. He needs to summon obedience and just trust that the Lord will do the rest. And that is what true courage looks like in this context, obedience. Even obedience for Joshua is a response to the promises of God. And this promise is made right to Joshua here in chapter 1. So in that time and place, he needed to courageously obey the promises of God and trust in them. As the people of God had just lost one of their greatest leaders, and as they stood facing the land against formidable opponents with the wilderness at the back and the Jordan River at their front, they could have courage in the promises of God, and that is just what Joshua needed. God is reiterating a promise that he had given to Israel earlier and applying it right to Joshua, right? God is speaking to Joshua, but he's reiterating a promise that he had given to uh, the nation of Israel earlier in Deuteronomy. God promises the nation of Israel blessing in Deuteronomy 11, 24 through 25. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon, from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. To Joshua, very individually, he's applying this promise and God is saying, I am with you. If you enter a fight, you win. If you travel there, it's yours. And it wasn't because of some great ability in Joshua. No, he didn't write the art of war. He didn't defeat a giant. He had no great military accomplishments at him on his resume. But God was with him. This is where his power came from. It was derived from the king of the universe. And what should stand out in our minds is that the obedience to the law of God by the leader of the people of God is vitally important to their success. Everything hinged on Joshua. It was all on him. And the key to obedience we see in verses 7 and 8 was that Joshua was to speak God's law and he was to meditate on it. He was not to depart from it. It was to ever be before him. He was to be familiar with it. It was to be inside of him. He was to be characterized as a man who knew, who depended, and who internalized what God said. That's who Joshua was to be. An obedience to God's law was a marker that identified the leader that God had chosen. The leader of the people of God is the clearest picture of God's expectation. For as the leader goes, so goes the people. It was God's word then that ordained, or that ordained the, the, with the ordained leader that was supposed to embody. God's law is another way of talking about God's word. For God's word, God's law was spoken by God and given to Moses with Joshua right there in attendance in, as, as they, on the Mount Sinai. 
For it was the law of God that he spoke to Moses. And this is the word that Israel was called to obey. Not only did God speak to Joshua, Joshua was supposed to be the embodiment of God's word, a walking, breathing representation of what obedience looked like. It was God's word then that would protect Joshua as the leader of God's people. And it was God's word and obedience to God's word then that would win the day. Through obedience, God's power would be made visible to Joshua. Now, a few hundred years later, another man would come as a leader of Israel. Another man who would echo these same sentiments. King David himself was one leader of Israel who loved and obeyed God's commands. Psalm 119, 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I, might, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promises that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Even David longed to sit and obey, sit in and obey God's commands. God's word, even the parts that are hard, even the Ten Commandments, should be a delight in our lives. They were a delight for the people of God in Israel, and they were to be a delight for Joshua. For it is in God's word that life, light, and peace can be eternally known. The secret for the success of God's people has always been obedience to God's word. That that is what the success of God's people looks like. Are we obeying God's word? And it is their leader who should exemplify a life relying on the God who speaks. Now, fast forward even more years, and another great leader would enter the scene of Scripture. This leader didn't arrive as a, uh, in pomp and circumstance. He wasn't the likely choice, at least from human standards, of, uh, of a leader of God. He wasn't even well-liked by the people of God. But we are told that Jesus Christ didn't just obey God's word. He was God and word in the flesh. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. For we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was the word that dwelt among his people. He fully obeyed God. See, Joshua was to lead the people of God in the promised land, but even this land that we're going to be reading about was just a picture of what was to come. For Joshua would die, and he would not live in the land forever. Joshua, though, was as the leader of God's people, or Jesus was the leader of God's people, and he was God in the flesh. 
God himself. He was no mere man who needed to be told to obey God. He was the exemplary, obedient servant. And it was through his obedience that we too can obey God. For he obeyed to the point of death on the cross. He was more courageous than Joshua. For Joshua, Joshua was guaranteed life if he obeyed, but it is the courage of Jesus that led to eternal life. Jesus was guaranteed this life too, but he had to die an excruciating death on a cross. And in doing so, he defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death. And now we too can have eternal life in the land. Life that is typified by obedience and joy in the commands of God. Life that that we get to sit and hear from God's word as he speaks directly to each of us. And this obedience that we get to partake in comes from a place of joy. For we've been given new hearts, new lives, new desires that follow, to follow after God and to find joy in his kingdom. Jesus is now the ruler of the people of God. For through his perfect obedience, God granted him the power to sit and rule. We are his people and he is our king. And this is a wonderful truth, a comforting truth, for he is a good ruler. Through his courage, the word of God prospers in our lives and it is our rule of life. Obedience and and sitting under the word of God should be a priority to the people of God. Even now, today, we ought to revere it and long for it and participate in it. The word of God is our rule and we must be as well courageous in obeying it. For the temptation of this world is to turn to the right or to the left. Joshua was, said, was told, don't do it. And we too have that call, right? The world calls on us to do that. Scripture says, no, obedience is the way of success. And it is scripture that, that should be the rule of our lives. So what would it look like for you as a Christian who puts their faith in Jesus to courageously obey Scripture? What would it look like in your evangelism if you obeyed God courageously? Right? If you just did what you were told, if we just obeyed faithfully, what would that look like? I mean, I know God would be faithful. It's on me that I wonder. What would it look like if I did that? As the people of God are even now caught in between the wilderness and the promised land, much of Joshua is relevant for you. Walking in obedience in this world takes great courage. So what what, what would it look like, another question, to courageously obey God in raising your family? Now, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean homeschooling or putting them in private school. Now, that bill might take courage, but that's not obedience. That's not courageously obeying God. Teaching your children the commands of God is what takes courage. Living them out in your own life is what takes courage. Enforcing them in your home 
is what takes courage. Teaching them creatively and pointedly takes courage. Teaching your children what it is that God expects of them, that takes courage. When in our home, when we talk about the law of God, we talk about it in two simple ways, as Jesus did, right? Love God, love others. Is what you're doing loving God or loving somebody else? Love God in all, love God in all you do, and out of that flows a love for others. And so take heart. Teach that in your homes. Apply it in your own life. And if you'd like more uh, to ponder, ponder this more on what this looks like and, and how this plays out in the new covenant reality, I would challenge you to and encourage you to go read Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is Jesus saying, hey, here's what the law looked like and here's what it looks like now after me, after it's been fulfilled in me. Love for others when they don't, love others, right, when they don't appear lovely. They may be different from us in appearance or in cleanliness. It, may, it is countercultural to love them. Loving others looks like loving them even when they disagree with you. Maybe they disagree contestedly on hot issues of the day. Don't give, don't give them friendly lip service and pat them on the back and complain about them to your children. But go out of your way to show them genuine obedience to the word of God and a love that can only come from him. This takes great courage. For it is fashionable to line up with those who are on our side and tear down those who are not. Whether it's in politics or sports, I mean, just anything these days, right? Figure out what side you're on and attack the other, other side. But as the kingdom of God expands, we are called to participate in it. True, biblical, sacrificial obedience takes courage. It takes heart. And God rewards those who obey. So does your home reflect this? Does your life reflect this? In our conversation, uh, do we love those who are not like us? In our, in, our, in our hearts, do we love them even? Through the Spirit of God that is alive in us, we can obey God's word, and we can do so courageously. God's word can be visibly changing our lives as the word of God expands in it. And as the kingdom shines brighter in our hearts, individually, but also collectively, we become a brighter beacon, right? A light to the world, salt to the earth. And this should give us great courage. The ability to do what is right. And this is necessary for the leader of God's people. So what we see in the final verses of chapter one is that the man of God leads the people of God, right? So the man of God leads the people of God. After, Joshua, or after God commissions Joshua in the first nine verses and gives him marching orders, right? Joshua, go and do these things. Go and do these things. Obey me and uh, they will be accomplished. In verse 10, Joshua assumes command of the people, right? He, we see him giving orders 
to, to kind of break camp and get ready to go and, and, uh, to war. But the question is, is would they respond? Would they respond to this new leader? Would they recognize Joshua and, the, and his God-given role to be um, their leader, or would they ignore him and once again doubt God's promises? So Joshua, yeah, he passes through the camp. He instructs the leaders, be ready, and in three days we'll march against the enemies in Canaan. And his courage is visible right away. Ahead of them is the Jordan River, and the Jordan River would have been a very formidable challenge right off the bat because it was in flood stage. There were no bridges, and they probably had a multitude of people that they needed to get across. But it's clear from Joshua's conviction that he is already trusting that God has given him and commissioned him to this task. What, something else that should stand out to us in this section uh, of verses is Joshua's specific uh, instruction to the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So why is this relevant? Well, what's taking place here? Well, Previously, once again, in the book of Numbers, Moses promised these tribes the land east of the Jordan. We see that in Numbers 32, 28 through 30. So Moses, commanded, uh, so Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar, the priest, and to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the father's houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And Moses said to them, if the people of Gad and the people of Reuben, every man who is armed ready for battle before the Lord will pass with you over the Jordan and the land shall suddenly be subdued before you. Then you shall give them the land of Gilead for a possession. However, if they do not pass over with you armed, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. So Joshua was there. Joshua was there when that word originally went down. And he could remember like this conversation and this promise that Moses had given to these tribes. And so he goes to remind them of their oath, of their promise, kind of like Aragorn did in Return of the King. right? Hey, you have a, an obligation to fulfill. Joshua's leadership, as we see in these verses, continues to be pointing the people of God to the promises of God and the responsibility to respond in obedience. Remember God's promise? It'll happen. Obey. What God said will come true. Obey. Joshua's leadership, as we see in these verses, continues to be that. It isn't Joshua's charisma, right? Or or, or, or any human skill that he's been given, right? He isn't, it isn't like he's this great, um, powerful CEO running a, a Fortune 500 company. No, all he's doing is pointing people towards God's word and calling them towards obedience. It is that Joshua reminds the people of the promises of God and they respond in faith. Joshua's leadership here is what, what is key. But it also should stand out here as well that the people respond to his leadership. They respond to what he says. This is the measure of any leader that God installs among his people. Do they speak God's word? Right? Are there words calling me to uh, God's promises? And if they are, 
then I, as the person of God, should respond to that. This is the job of pastors and elders in the church. A pastor and elder is not a visionary who sets the trajectory from the church. No, Jesus did that. We already know where the church is going. Right? The, the job of a pastor and an elder is to explain God's word and call God's people to respond. That's the job of a pastor. That's the job of the elder. In our postmodern, post-Christian world, we want somebody dynamic. Right? Give me somebody who's great to listen to. Give me somebody who um, I can have coffee and go home and just be like, oh, that was so wonderful. But what we should be appreciating are pastors who point us to the promises of God and call us to respond. So friends, I would encourage you to grow in your affection of God's word. Grow in your joy of responding when God's word is rightly preached. For it is God's word that leads God's people, right? Not, not uh, the, the person up on stage. It is God's word that is leading. It wasn't Joshua. It is, it is today. And when God's word leads, the true people of God hear God's voice and respond. The response here in Joshua is that these three tribes uh, got up and said, yeah, we'll do it. They responded in obedience. What about you? Oftentimes when God's word is proclaimed, our, our hearts can be shut down, right? We don't like it. Maybe it causes us to cringe. It's just too hard. I don't know if I, I, I could obey that. I don't know if I could do that. Recognize when this happens. Know that this is taking place. And look inside yourself and ask, am I shrinking back because of obedience is hard? Now, on the flip side, just because a statement, right, in the context of, of a church is made, doesn't mean it's accurate, but we should be weighing it against God's word. Everything that I've said today, measure against God's word. Is God calling us to faithfully respond? This is what the tribes modeled for us. Reuben, Manasseh, Gad, they modeled this for us. They, they got up and they obeyed. So if your heart is hardened to God's word proclaimed, if it's hardened to the implication that it has in obedience in your life, then I would strongly encourage you to ask God to soften your heart. A Christian with a hard heart to God's word is no Christian at all. One final idea that this text points uh, us to is that Joshua's leadership among the people of God was used to build up the people of God. Notice that he calls the three tribes to join their brothers in the fight and, and before they go rest in the land. Now, geographically, he's calling them to this because they are already in the land that these three tribes were to inhabit. So they didn't actually need to go fight. Joshua reminds them of God's promises and calls for their obedience. And in doing so, they participate in the building up of the people of God. Conquering the land of Canaan was going to be a team effort. It was going to be something that they linked arms together and accomplished, not to be done alone. 
the three tribes were to go and assist their brothers in this. Christian, our life too, right? That's our motivation. We as the people of God, even today, are not in our final home. No, God continues to expand his kingdom. The question is, is are you willing to help your brothers and sisters as it expands in their life? There are many ways that we can do this. The New Testament speaks of this as discipleship. Joining others in their walk, encouraging them, fighting sin and temptation alongside of them, reading God's word together, all along pointing them to the promises of God that are clearly seen in Scripture. As as elders, our hope and prayer for each of you is that you are continually built into the promises of God and that you do not go this alone, but you have brothers and sisters who are there fighting alongside of you. This is what we're going to be seeing in the book of Joshua. We haven't been saved to an alone faith. We have been saved to build into others, to labor with them as they pursue holiness. And when the call comes to commit, to build up, to participate, don't push back. Don't say, "Ah, I'm too busy for that. Yeah, that's just not my cup of tea. I just want to be here on Sundays. God desires that you would grow up into holiness, into his image, with others. God desires that you would continue to grow into his image, the the image of Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, who heard from God, obeyed God, and now, through his word, faithfully leads us, the people of God. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this word, and we thank you for uh, the work that it's doing in our lives even now. We pray that it would just continue to um, be relevant to us, Lord. We pray that it would continue to sow seeds in our life that would bear righteousness in the days to come. Amen.